Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. So uh, while I was away, uh, Jake closed out the Everyday Spirituality Series. Did you enjoy that? Did you enjoy that? So I heard good reports from those two weeks. And today we're starting a new series called In Jesus' Shoes. Um, there's an old saying that says you can't understand someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes. And what that basically means is, you know, we can, we can sort of uh, we can look on, we can observe, but actually to really get into someone's uh, character and identity, we need to be very close to them, to understand who they are. And the character Atticus Finch in um, Harper Lee's book, To Kill a Mockingbird, he took it uh, one stage further. He said, um, you'll never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb inside of his skin and walk around in it. What he was trying to say was, you know, to really understand someone is is to walk in their shoes. And so over the next few weeks on a Sunday, we're going to try and get into the shoes of Jesus and walk around with him in the Gospels. We're deliberately going to stay away from the parables and we're deliberately going to stay away from the miracles. And what we're going to focus on is the way he interacted with people, the way he related to people, the way Jesus just did ordinary life with people. And we're going to try and learn from that. We're going to try and learn from Jesus and really understand what it is to be Jesus-like people as we relate to people, as we connect with people in the everyday. Very famous passage which you've heard before, Jesus saying in Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So we're going to learn from Jesus as we walk with him. We're called to learn from him. We're just not called to observe him. We're not called to comment on him or to even just understand him. We're called to actually learn from him and appropriate from his life and his model something into our own lives. We're going to learn how he did things differently, how he treated people differently, how often he did the opposite to the thing that was expected for him to do. The message translates Matthew 11 in this way. It says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So we're going to try and keep company with Jesus in the Gospels over these next few Sundays, learning to walk with him. And we're going to try and watch how Jesus did it and observe what he did and see the way he worked, see the way he lived and related, and hopefully imbibe some of that into our own lives. Is that okay? So as ever, your homework is to take what you hear on a Sunday and hopefully try and imbibe some of that, try and apply some of that to your everyday. Because when we, when we talk, when we preach, when we speak, and when we dive into Scripture and we look at Jesus, we're trying to become more like him. We're trying to learn to become more like him and learn from him. So we don't just sit and nod wise and think that was interesting. We actually try and imbibe some of that into our lives. Because if Jesus really was who he said he was, then he's the best person to learn from, isn't he? And he's the the best person to learn how to live from. So we're going to try and do that over these next few weeks. And again, I'm going to start with a very famous interaction between Jesus and a Pharisee called Nicodemus. 
Nicodemus. We encounter Nicodemus in John's Gospel, chapter 3. And we're going to focus on the first part of Jesus' interaction with him. So let's read from John's Gospel. Now there was a Pharisee, a man called Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. So this story starts with this man called Nicodemus. And John tells us that he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He was a Pharisee. He was a prominent figure in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. He would have been a public figure, easily recognized in the streets and the town. And he clearly seen what Jesus had been doing. In the previous passage of John's Gospel, it says that uh, Jesus was present at the Passover festival in Jerusalem. He said many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. So Jesus had been publicly demonstrating the kingdom of God and and teaching and and preaching. And Nicodemus must have been looking on and seeing this person of Jesus and must have been intrigued by him as he taught with wisdom, as he healed people, the way he interacted. And so intrigued by Jesus, he decides that he wants to meet him. But he's got a problem. He's a prominent public figure in the Jewish council. How is he going to meet Jesus without attracting attention? How is he going to meet Jesus without being recognised? Jesus was challenging the religious establishment that he was a key part of. Yet he wanted to go and meet Jesus and talk with Jesus and question Jesus. But that would have created a lot of problems for Nicodemus if he had been seen by other Pharisees. So he decides to go at night when there's less chance of being seen. And he says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher. We, I've seen what you're doing. I've seen the things that you're doing. And, and I've decided that no one could do those things if God wasn't with them. You must have come from God. But that's created a conundrum for Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus is part of a religious system that's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. He's part of the religious establishment. And Jesus is coming, challenging that establishment. But God is clearly with him. And so... Nicodemus is struggling to put these two things together. Jesus shows up and starts announcing a new kingdom, a new way of doing things. Something that's going to surpass the current thing that Nicodemus is part of. And Nicodemus, I'm sure, would love to discredit him and dismiss him as some sort of freak or some sort of, you know, another person coming around, touting a new thing. But he can't because clearly God is with him. And so he's in a cleft stick And Nicodemus is experiencing what some psychologists would call cognitive dissonance. This is when a long-term held value or belief is challenged by a new paradigm, a new truth. And Nicodemus looks on at Jesus and he's suffering cognitive dissonance. Because here's a man 
who is clearly from God, but speaking a different message and a different way of doing things. Now, Jesus has that effect on our lives, doesn't he? Have you noticed how he creates cognitive dissonance for us? We're happily going along, doing our own thing, going our own way, and then suddenly Jesus cuts across that and says, actually, there's a different way. There's a new way. Love your enemies, don't hate them. Forgive those who hurt you, don't hold bitterness. Be generous to those people who've never been generous to you. And he starts to mess with our heads. He starts to create cognitive dissonance within us. He starts often his teachings in the Gospels. You heard it said, but I tell you. You think this way, but actually there's a new way. You've been doing it this way, but I'm telling you there's a different way. And he's creating this cognitive dissonance with us all the time. Nicodemus had this belief system rooted in the religious establishment of the time. And then he sees Jesus. And straight away, his life begins to get messed up. Jesus has that effect on our lives, doesn't he? He disturbs the status quo. He begins to mess with us and changes us and alters our thinking. And, and what is happening is Nicodemus is being sort of uprooted from the religious establishment and he's being planted in the new soil of the kingdom. The new soil of the kingdom. And people like you and me, when we experience cognitive dissonance, we often feel embarrassed about the past. How could I have thought those things? How could I have, have done those things? You know, that seems so alien to me now so we might feel shame we might feel regret about what we used to do compared to what we now feel is the right thing to do we might look back at our past actions and think how could I have thought that how could I have done that you might feel continuing discomfort as you wrestle with the new and wrestle with the new thing you're trying to come to terms with the new truth that contradicts what you used to believe and I'm sure Nicodemus is going through all these things as he came to Jesus that night and tried to figure out what on earth was going on. Here was this man who clearly had come from God, speaking a new message, doing things differently. How does Jesus receive Nicodemus that night? Well, let's start with what he doesn't do. Okay? What he doesn't do, he doesn't highlight Nicodemus' lack of courage for coming at night. He doesn't say, where's your backbone, Nicodemus? Why couldn't you come and see him in the daytime? Are you scared to be seen by other people? Are you scared to be seen associating with me? He doesn't highlight that fact that clearly he's aware that Nicodemus is trying to come and see him covertly. He doesn't rebuke Nicodemus for being part of the very system that he's come to challenge. He doesn't say, well, you're, you know, you're part of the problem. You're part of the issue. You know, what are you doing here? You know, you're the very thing I'm trying to actually overturn. And he doesn't belittle his lack of understanding about the, king, the kingdom and what's happening and this, and this whole new thing that's coming. Jesus doesn't draw attention to any of these things that night when he meets Nicodemus. So what does he do? What can we learn from the way Jesus relates to this man? Well, I think the first thing he does, he tries to build trust with Nicodemus. He says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. This phrase, very truly I tell you, in the original language, you could translate as truly, truly I tell you. Truly, truly. Maybe in modern parlance, 150% true. You know, 180% true, 200% true. Whatever we use to try and you know, double down on this actually is something true 
and to be trusted. Truly, truly, I tell you, Nicodemus, this whole kingdom thing is about a new birth. It's about a new beginning. And Jesus begins by building trust with Nicodemus. And I think we can learn from this because trust is a key way the gospel gets transmitted between people across the bridge of trust. How can we define trust this morning? Well, you could say it's this. Taking something that is important to you and choosing to make it vulnerable to the actions of someone else. Taking something that's important to you and choosing to make it vulnerable to the actions of someone else. So let's imagine this pointer is a priceless family heirloom that I'm holding here. Like Fabergé egg or something, I don't know. Something really priced that's been handed down through my family from generation to generation. There's only one of it. You know, it's absolutely priceless. It can't be recreated. It can't be remade. It's fragile. It's delicate. It's got so much sentimental value to me. Now, if Christine said, can I hold your lovely sentimental value family thing? I'd be like, ooh, ooh, can I trust Christine to hold this and keep it safe? I'm taking something that's very, very precious to me and I make it vulnerable to the actions of somebody else. And that's what trust is. Because as I pass that over, Christine might drop it. She might break it. She might go, oh, that's rubbish, throw it away. <laughs> she might do a whole host of things with the thing that I have incredible value attached to. Nicodemus had made the first step in moving towards Jesus, in building trust by coming to him and exposing his vulnerability and lack of understanding about what was going on. He didn't come in a pompous way. He didn't come in a, a handed way or authoritarian way. He came and made himself vulnerable by sharing his heart and his feelings about what was happening. And Jesus recognizes this and responds in this language of trust by saying, it's okay, I am authentic, you can trust me. No, really, really, you can trust me. I am the real deal, I am authentic. So let's pause and think about trust for a moment. How do we build it and how do we break it? Let's imagine that this is you or me. Okay, this is you, and inside this dotted circle are all the things that are really important to you. Your deepest feelings and desires, your hopes, your dreams, the inner parts of you that maybe you only share with a very few people. This is the real you. Yeah? And all around you are other people. And whether you realise it or not, these people in relationship with you spatially related to trust. They're related to you. Imagine these circles are like your layers of trust. Some people are completely outside your layers of trust. Some people are in your outer circles. Some people are moving through on the inner circles. And some people are right in that innermost circle with you in terms of how much you trust them. How much you trust them. And these circles, they aren't based on whether someone is related to you. You might have people in your family you absolutely trust. You might have people in your family you don't trust at all. So it's not based on relationship in terms of how they're related to you. These circles aren't based on geography. You might have somebody who lives very next door to you, but you don't trust them with anything. You might have somebody who lives 200 miles away, but you trust them with everything. And when you meet up, 
it's like you're never away. And these circles aren't even based on how often you see somebody. You might see somebody once a year and have a deep trust with them. You might see somebody every day at work and you wouldn't trust him with a cup of tea. <laughs> so these circles are not to do with geography, not to do with family, and not to do with frequency. They're to do with the equity of trust that's been built with you and these people over the days and the weeks and the years. So have a think about different people in your life and where they might sit in those circles for you for a moment. See, trust isn't built on grand gestures. It's built on the little tiny everyday interactions that we have with people. Little positives and negatives, little deposits or withdrawals in our trust account with people. And so that's why it's really important for our everyday lives because we're going to be people like Jesus. We need to think, how can we be people who build trust with other people in the everyday, in the small things? When you choose to show somebody you care in a very small thing, you're building positive trust with them. If you take what they've made vulnerable to you and you don't treat it well, then it's a negative trust encounter with that person. Let's say you risk being vulnerable with somebody at work. You tell them how you're really feeling. How do they receive it? Do they listen? Do they show concern? Do they show empathy? Do they stop and take time to really hear your heart? If they do, then trust is being built in that relationship with that person. And you'll begin to journey closer and they'll start to move into your trust circles. I'll make this direction of travel, positive trust encounter. If you're vulnerable with them again and they continue to show love and concern and empathy, they'll continue to make that journey closer and closer to the real you. So a key issue in building trust with somebody is reliability. Is reliability. If someone responds with care and concern and love over and over and over and over again when you share your innermost self, then you'll build trust with them. But if someone shows concern one day and then the next day couldn't care less, that's not going to build trust, is it? And in fact, it's actually going to be the very reverse. If someone is inconsistent with how they treat you and how they treat what you feel is valuable, they'll remain in your outer trust circles, no matter how often you see them or how often they try to interact with you. If they aren't consistent in the way they deal with what you what you share with them and how vulnerable you are with them, then they won't ever really journey towards the inner you. You can smile and wave and be nice, but they'll, really, they'll sit in those outside trust circles. You won't really want to risk being vulnerable with them because you're not sure what reaction you're going to get. So you'll be nice, you'll be pleasant, you'll talk about the weather, whatever you do, <laughs> but you won't really get into the real you because you won't want to risk taking that thing that's valuable to you and putting it in their hands, because you're not sure what they're going to deal with it. Now, if someone has travelled into your inner trust circles, and then somebody starts to damage your trust with the way they react or deal with you, then this happens. They start to move out of your trust circles. And this can happen with long-standing relationships. It can happen with people, family members. It can happen in a variety of ways. (coughs) That person won't change their status in terms of who they are 
relationally connected to you, but they will change their position in terms of your trust circles. They'll start to move out towards your outer trust circles. And whether you do this consciously or subconsciously, this is exactly what's happening in your life. You're making inner choices about how real or vulnerable you're going to be with that person. If our behaviour continues to break trust, that person will move, move further and further away from the real you. And I say we see it in families, we see it in relationships, we see it in friendships, we see it when that inconsistency is there. So Nicodemus has made himself vulnerable to Jesus. He's starting to move closer to Jesus because of his vulnerability and the way Jesus is dealing with that vulnerability. Jesus isn't exposing him. Jesus isn't critiquing him, making fun of him. He's actually tenderly trying to explain to Nicodemus what it is he's experiencing, what the kingdom really is. It's a different kind of thing to what he's known before. So Jesus is building trust. He begins to put language to what Nicodemus is experiencing. He says, yes, you've been born, but you've got to be born again. There's a new birth taking place here. And this is the only way to experience this new kingdom. You have to see it through new eyes in a new way. Nicodemus is still perplexed by this concept, so Jesus tries to help him a bit more and acts a bit like a midwife, trying to help him in this birthing process. Let's move on to this. When he says, Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they're old? I don't understand. And Jesus again says, very truly I tell you, the same words again, truly, truly, trust me, trust me, this is real, this is true. The only way you get to experience this new kingdom is if you have a new kind of birth. You've been physically born, you're, you're physically alive, but you need a spiritual birth, you need to be spiritually alive. And that birth comes by the spirit, the spirit brings us spiritually alive. Jesus, again, presses on the trust pedal to try and help Nicodemus understand there's a new thing happening here. Now, being born again Christians often been a term of ridicule, hasn't it? You know, over the years, oh, you're one of those born again Christians. But actually, it's, it's right here in the words of Jesus. And all it means is, if we're going to experience who Jesus really is as spirit, we need to become spiritually alive people. We need to be people born of the spirit. And he uses this example of the wind to further explain to Nicodemus. It's not like these, these sort of rigid, uh, established buildings and structures that you're present in at the moment in terms of the religious establishment you're part of as a Pharisee. Actually, the new kingdom is much more like the wind. It's not tethered. It's not confined. It moves and blows. And, and we don't know where it's going to go. We can't control it. We can't try and manage it. But it's here and it's working. And we get to see the effects of it, its work in the lives of the people it's touched. Just the way the wind moves the branches of a tree, we see the branches moving, we don't see the wind. You get to see the spirit of Jesus by looking at the lives of the people it's touched. You can see the effects. So people born of the spirit are free, just like the wind is free. And Jesus said it's all about... Me, I'm the signpost, I'm the gateway, I'm the way into this new life. You become born again through me. In fact, ultimately, you need to completely trust me as the way into this new kingdom. So I wanted to focus on this aspect of trust today with Jesus and Nicodemus. I think it's a really key thing as believers we need to get a, a hold on. Because trust is such a powerful mechanism 
for allowing the gospel to travel between people. Because people aren't going to really want to hear what you have to say about Jesus unless they trust you. Unless they've seen you take the thing that's most valuable to them and deal with it with care and empathy and concern. Not just go, well, that's rubbish. Have a new thing. All that old stuff, all your old experiences and whatever you've done before, just forget all that. That's just all rubbish. Jesus here makes everything new. Just trash all that move on. Actually, that's not the way Jesus worked. That isn't the way he worked. He tried to help people be born into this new experience of the kingdom. So how do we get better at building and maintaining trust if we're going to walk in Jesus' shoes? Well, let's have a think about that as we close out today. Back to this definition. Take it something that is important to you and choosing to make it vulnerable to the actions of somebody else. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about building trust. Often what gets in the way of us building trust with some, someone else is our ego. Who's got an ego? Yes. Our ego is the part of us that's concerned with the self. And it's concerned with self-esteem and self-importance. Okay? Our ego... Your ego, my ego, tries to assert that I am good, I am competent, I am liked, I am valued, I am <coughs> successful. Those are the things my ego tends to project, okay? This, this, this degree of competence and, and, um, and self-importance. Now, some degree of ego is really good and necessary for us to be able to function in the everyday. But it can hold us back from building trusting relationships with other people because it keeps coming to the fore. It keeps trying to get in front. It keeps trying to get in between. And if we're going to learn to become vulnerable and uh, learn to become real with other people, then we need to learn to put our egos on hold because our ego is really about maintaining the status quo, that you are competent, successful, funny, witty, clever, honest, up to speed, intelligent, handsome, beautiful, whatever else. Your ego is, is pushing all those pedals all the time and trying to get in front. It's a bit like this. <laughs> That's what your ego is doing every time you meet somebody. Me, 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 what about me, me, me? And it's, it's just there. It's just present. And it's hindering your ability to really engage with someone at a real level because this is going on in your head. You know, make sure they think you're funny. Make sure they think you're intelligent. Make sure they think you're witty. Make sure they think... It's all, the ego is always trying to promote itself. I think we get the idea. Thank you, Donkey. <laughs> the ego has its own agenda. And recognising that we have egos and our egos are present is really important if we're going to learn to build trust and build vulnerability with people. And the first thing we have to recognise is the ego will always be wanting to get its needs met first. It always wants to jump to the front of the queue, just like Donkey, and get its, <laughs> and get its needs met first. You know? So if someone is, is you know, sharing the, their deepest hearts you know, with you, and you're going, me, but what about me? I'm going to tell them about this. And literally, it's like, we need to try and get a hold of our egos and press pause on your ego. You can't tell your ego to go away. Your ego is always present. There's an old phrase, check your ego at the door. And what that meant was when you went into somewhere, like a meeting or, or an, you know, an organisation, in the old days you'd check your coat in, wouldn't you? you put your coat in the cloakroom and you'd check your coat in. 
check your ego at the door. So as you're about to enter a, a situation where you're going to meet people, it can be at work, it can be your family get together, it can be church, try and think about checking your ego at the door. How can you press pause on your ego, recognising that as you connect with people, maybe meet some new people or deepen some relationships with some existing people, your ego is constantly going to come bouncing to the fore, just like our friend. So, you see, Jesus didn't struggle with ego the way we do. So when he met Nicodemus that night, he wasn't saying, well, how about me, Nicodemus? I'm bringing the new thing, aren't I? You're always dry and dusty, but hey, I'm the new wine. I'm the new... He didn't do any of that, did he? he didn't... His ego wasn't coming to the fore. He didn't have the same... I'm sure he did have ego, but he managed the ego, and he managed the expectations of that, and he, he dealt with Nicodemus by sort of laying down his own needs, coming as that servant king, and focusing on what was going on for Nicodemus. He didn't feel the need to assert his ego over Nicodemus to make himself feel better about himself. So it's worth sitting down and reflecting on what are your ego needs. When you first meet somebody, what do you tend to do? What do you, what do you tend to do? What tends to come out when you first meet someone? Because these can be your kind of default ego behaviours. And they're different for all of us. They're different for all of us. And when you become aware of what they are, you can ask Jesus to help you put them on pause. So people get to meet the real you, not just the the bit you're trying to present to make yourself seem more acceptable or, or whatever else. You see, your ego might make you feel better in the short term, you know, you've said a witty line and someone laughed or whatever else, or you, you made fun of someone and they, everyone else laughed and that person felt sad. And whatever else it was, but in the long term, your ego is not helping you develop and grow as a person. It's not really serving you. So if we try and pause our ego, it changes the way we relate to people. It changes the way we build trust with people. It changes the way we can be vulnerable with people. And so with your ego taking a bit of a back seat you can be better at being the safe pair of hands to receive what people want to put into. You get better at holding that thing that is vulnerable, you know, when that, that trusted thing, that, that thing that someone shares with you, you get better at holding that thing and keeping it safe because your ego isn't present, bouncing around. So that links to this second part. Treasure what people entrust to you. So every time someone engages with you, there's an opportunity to build trust. Create a positive trust encounter that helps that person move closer to you and you closer to that person. And with our ego on pause, we're better positioned to listen, to understand, to empathise, to support, to protect, to come alongside. We can do all those things if our focus is on the person and not on him. Because he'll always, or she, will always be wanting to come to the fore. And the tendency is when someone shares something really vulnerable with you, is to make light of it, or to belittle it, or to kind of move on from it, or to draw, or draw the attention back to yourself. Well, that happened to me once, and, and, and straight away the ego is trying to get its needs met. So let's put him on pause. The last thing I want to say today is try and be reliable. Reliable with how you interact with people. So you might be having a good day or a bad day, or you might have had a great week, or, but try and be consistent with how you relate 
to people. Because that helps to build and maintain and deepen trust. Don't just splurge on them. You can splurge, that's fine. But the key thing is about if they're trying to be vulnerable with you and you just go, actually, you know, I've had a really bad day too, and then you basically, the ego comes to the fore again, or they put something valuable in your hands and you disregard it or make light of it or make fun of it, then that lack of reliability isn't going to help trust be built in the long term. As we get closer to someone, we start to share more of who we really are, don't we? We get to share ourselves, the bits of, that are inside us that we feel less comfortable with. People get the raw us. And um, as we build trust with people, that becomes more and more prevalent. That's a really good thing. Peter said um, in 1 Peter 4.8, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And what he means by this is as we start to really love and really connect and really trust, we can really start to share our inner self, the bits that aren't pretty, the bits we're not proud of. But actually, loving relationships and trust will cover them, will we'll keep us together, will enable us to continue to relate and accept and to love and forgive one another. Relationships of love and trust can really handle the real you and the real me. They can really um, handle all that stuff that we don't like to show, the stuff behind the ego, the unfiltered bits of us. But this deep love and trust can only be fostered through us trying to be consistent in the way that we respond to each other, consistent in the way that we deal with people, resisting the ego, resisting the desire to say something to make us feel better about ourselves rather than listening to what the person is entrusting to us. You see, you can be reliable in the wrong way. You can be reliably known for when someone shares something with you, you'll always make fun of it. You can be reliably known for just being somebody who doesn't really care. You can be reliably known for somebody who is critical. You can be reliably known for someone who's being judgmental. You can be reliably known for all sorts of different things. The question is, what do you want to be known for? Someone mentions your name, and what are they known for? What do you want the thing to pop into someone's head when they think about you? What do you want to be reliably known for? Do you want to be known as the person who talks too much and doesn't listen enough? Do you want to be known as the person who uses humour and sarcasm to put somebody else down? Do you want to be known as a person who basically just tries to story top and just talks over somebody all the time and saying, actually, I've got a better story than that. I've, been to, I've, 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 suffered, I've suffered more than that. You know? <laughs> what do you want to be known for? Jesus said you can judge a tree by its fruit. So you walk up to a tree and you pick a piece of fruit and that fruit tells you what the tree is. So when people walk up to you and they pick a piece of you, what do you want to be known for? What do you want the fruit of your interaction with them to be known for? Yeah? Because you always judge a tree by its fruit. Okay, so Jesus said, you know, that the pear tree, you can't walk up to a pear tree and get an apple off it because then it'd be an apple tree. So when you can't say, I'm, a, I'm this person, you know, this is what I believe I am, and then someone walks up to you and they pick a, a fruit of, of your life, but that fruit is a different kind of fruit, that tells you what that person is. That's what Jesus was saying. So what do you want to reliably be known for? When someone comes up to you and interacts with you and takes a bit of your fruit of your life, what do you want that fruit to be? What do you want to be written on your headstone? Let's get really meaty. 
What do you want to be known for? Being reliable in the way we choose to interact with people really does build a foundation of trust, but we have to learn to get our egos under control. We have to stop that thing bouncing to the fore in the same way Jesus did. And the last thing I want to talk about today is being accountable. And what being accountable means is literally being willing to admit when you're wrong. Be willing to admit your mistakes, be willing to apologise, be willing to take the low road, be willing to be humble, because that really does build trust. And that cuts both ways. If you can receive an apology or you can give an apology, that really does build massive trust in a relationship. So we need to be willing to be people who are accountable to each other in that way. So if you've done something to damage a trust relationship, go and, go and make amends. Go and say, I realised when I did that, that was, had a negative impact on the trust in our relationship. And I want to help to rebuild that trust. But I, I know I can't just expect that trust to return. So I'm going to try and do something to help that trust be rebuilt. Because if you, if you damage trust, you will, that person will move you out spatially. And so you don't just hop back in. There has to be some sort of reconciliation and recompense for that to happen. And it's the same when we do that to other people. So if you damage trust, think about what you need to do to rebuild trust in someone's life. And remember, it's about the security and the repeatability of those individual little interactions every day. You know, so no grand gesture on Monday and then rubbish Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, because that won't work. If you're going to rebuild trust with somebody, it has to be in these micro-interactions reliably, consistently, day in, day out. Because Jesus was always consistent in the way he dealt with people. And we'll see that more and more over the weeks ahead. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.